You're listening to Akiona Law Podcast, where myself, founding attorney Lonnie Akiona, interviews industry experts on everything you need to know about family law and divorce in Seattle, Washington. Akiona Law, caring for you in your time of crisis. Hi. Welcome to the very first episode of Akiona Law Podcast. My name is Lani Akiona, and I am the founding attorney of the family law and divorce firm, Akiona Law. So today's podcast, we're going to be talking about spousal maintenance and basically what is spousal maintenance and maintenance? How do you get it? But before we dive in into our very first podcast episode here at Akiona Law. Our special guest today is our very own Catherine Peterson. Catherine, welcome to the Akiona Law podcast. And before I before we start discussing spousal maintenance in Washington, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You have a really interesting background about how you came into family law and how you came into being an attorney. And I just love hearing about it. So please share, please share that with us. And what do you go by again? I'm sorry, Catherine, or I know I, I want to call you Katie. Yeah, thanks. I do go by Katie. And um, thank you for having me today. And um, I do have a different, I, I got into this work in a different way. So I, um, I was a stay at home mom for several years. I have four children and my youngest was getting ready to go to school. And I was starting to look and figure out what I was going to do. Um, and I, my neighbor, uh, is a family law or was at that time a family law attorney. And she told me about a program through the bar association uh, in, um, in Washington, where you study and intern for four years uh, and you can take the bar exam and become an attorney without going to law school. So that was the route I went. Uh, It took me a little bit longer between taking some time off during and before and after preparing for the bar exam. Uh, But I, so I did that and I have now been an attorney for nine years. Um, I've worked exclusively in family law uh, and uh, that's my story. And how many years were you a family law and divorce paralegal? I, I, that was for six years. So I've been in family law now for 15 years. And that was when you worked in for the, for the attorney, that was up here in Everett, right? It was, yes. I've always worked in Everett. And Katie, what's your, you and I have discussed this a lot because family law is very unique. It has its, it has its own uh, special set of challenges um, and it has its ups and downs, but you and I discussed like we, with such a rewarding area of practice, and I personally can't see myself doing anything else. What do you find so enjoyable about, about family law and divorce? Well, uh, first of all, I, it's, always interesting. Every day is different. Everybody's story is different. I love hearing people's stories. That really is uh, the most, I would say the most, one of the most rewarding parts. Obviously, um, helping people who are in distress and in crisis, um, seeing results, uh, seeing good results um, come from our work. The other thing that I really enjoy about family law is being able to resolve uh, matters outside of court so that people can go on and have reasonable relationships going forward that are not destructive to their children are not destructive to their own mental health. So, um, and, and really being able to come up with creative solutions to difficult problems without having to run into court and beat each other up. Right. And I think that's, 
<laughs> and I think that's my favorite part about family law. Um, you and I often will have case strategy discussions where we're trying to come up with creative solutions to resolve cases without having to go to court because, you know, you and I have been doing this for a while and we know that going to court is, <laughs> is sometimes not the best resort. And if people can come to solutions outside of court themselves, that's always the best way. Yes. All right, let's, well, let's, let's discuss spousal maintenance. That's what this first podcast episode is about. Um, so spousal maintenance is also called alimony. Uh, but in Washington, we don't call it alimony. We call it spousal, ma spousal maintenance. We can also refer to it as spousal support. So Katie, I know you've done a lot of financial cases, particularly dealing with issues with spousal maintenance, division of assets and debts. So let's dive into, I'm sure people are dying to know, how do I get spousal maintenance? What factors does the court look at? Can you discuss about that? Yes. So um, the first thing about spousal maintenance to know is that there's no schedule. There's no set amount. There's no set duration. It is discretionary based for the, um, that the judges get to decide. Um, when you're looking at a spousal maintenance award, first of all, you may be looking at temporary spousal maintenance. Um, which is would be typically either for a specific amount of time or it would end go until um, final orders were entered and that may or may not change the amount or duration. Um, the, the, I'm gonna, the, can, you, can I pause you right here? I'm going to ask a question that I'm sure people are wondering. Now you mentioned there's no set schedule for spousal maintenance. What do you mean by that? I mean, in child support, to, to calculate child support, you take each party's income, you plug them into a formula and out pops a number of child support and it's cut and dry. The legislature has decided it. You can't really argue about it much. There are a few factors that you could use maybe to, to lower it or increase it. But for the most part, it's a schedule and the, and the courts follow it. Uh, spousal maintenance isn't, isn't like that. Spousal maintenance has several factors that the court looks at. Uh, one of the one of the factors well, is let me the just stop you. So you're saying there is like child support, right? Like you're just talking about they have the child support schedule, you plug in the incomes, but there's nothing like that with spousal maintenance, right? There's no like schedule. Well, if I was married for X number of years and my husband makes X amount and I don't make anything, I can plug it in and this will tell me how much spousal maintenance I get. That, that there's nothing like that exists, right? That's correct. Okay, so then you, I'm sorry, I, like again, I, um, I'm trying to think of questions that people would ask as they're listening to this. And so if there's not a set schedule, you were talking about the court looks at different factors for awarding spousal maintenance. So let's get into some of those factors that the court will look at. So the factors that the court looks at are not exclusionary, which means the court really can look at whatever it wants to in terms of any types of facts that are relevant to spousal maintenance, the court can look look at. However, the, the statute does list uh, several factors that the court um, should look at and does look at. The first one is the financial resources of the party seeking maintenance. So that basically means what does the what does the, the spouse who is asking for maintenance, what are their resources? What is their income? What are the, what property have they been awarded? Uh, in the case. Um, for instance, a party may have zero income, 
but may have received a huge amount of property in those in the divorce and the and the the court may say you don't need maintenance because of the property that you've received uh that's 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 a possibility Um, okay so the first one factor was the financial resources of the party seeking maintenance right yes the other second issue is the ability of the party seeking maintenance to be self-supporting so for instance some some people uh, choose not to work, which is a choice that they can make. But the court typically would expect somebody to work to the, to their ability and to earn to their ability. And when they decide the amount and duration of spousal maintenance, they are going to the court will take that into account. Okay, and that second factor again was the party's ability to be self sufficient. The party yes. seeking maintenance, right? Okay. Yes. The third factor is the time and and education needed for the party seeking maintenance to become self-supporting. So if a party has been, for instance, a stay-at-home parent for several years, doesn't have an education or or much of a work history, um, but has a plan, a good plan for going back to school and getting getting a job that's going to be able to support themselves, the court will typically uh, often, in, is, depending on the length of the marriage and the, and the resources of the party paying maintenance, but they will often give the, the, that, that spouse a time to be able to, um, to, be able to uh, get their, their education and get their feet under them and get, and get a job that is going to allow them to be self-supporting. Okay, so to summarize, the third factor in possibly getting an award of spousal maintenance is if I were a stay-at-home mom, and let's say I needed to go back to school to get some retraining or recertification, I could possibly get spousal maintenance to help me cover that cost. That's correct. Then the next factor that the court looks is the standard of living that the parties enjoyed during their, during their marriage. So for instance, Spousal maintenance isn't limited necessarily to your exact bottom bargain basement budget. Um, if the parties uh, had a, a lifestyle that included a lavish, lavish cars, lavish vacations, um, an expensive house, uh, you know, uh, the, the court can award maintenance to the, pa- the party who is requesting maintenance that is more than what the a minimum more than a minimum budget um, that that party would uh, would be able to eat and clothe themselves, for instance. So um, the standard of living is something that the court takes into account when awarding spousal maintenance. You know, I want to pause on this one. So the summary, right? You can also another factor in awarding spousal maintenance is the standard of living that the parties had during the marriage. And I remember I read, you know, I'm a geek out. I read a case about this. It was so fascinating because the um, the husband who was appealing the court's decision of the ward of spousal maintenance, the husband was arguing against the fact that the court took into consideration in the spousal maintenance award to the wife that the wife was getting um, her nails done and she was getting massages and she was getting these beauty treatments. And he's like, no, that's not what spousal maintenance is for. And the court said, well, that was a standard of living during the marriage. And that standard of living shall continue. And of course, you know, we're that's, <laughs> and of course we're talking about like high income sort of couples, right? where um, 
the people can't afford that type of stuff. And I, those types of luxuries or, or, or things. And I remember thinking, wow, that's just so fascinating that if you were in the standard of lifestyle where you use, you know, your stay at home mom, your husband works for Microsoft, you know, is a big wig at Microsoft, whatever. And you're able to enjoy getting these pedicures and manicures and getting facial treatments and things like that that upon the divorce, a court found, okay, well, no, you can still continue that standard of living because you husband can't afford it. And that was a lifestyle you established during your marriage. That was a lifestyle you gave your wife and your wife shall continue to enjoy that lifestyle. Um, yeah, I just thought that was so fascinating, but unfortunately, right. I'm not in that position to be, <laughs> I think it's hard for a lot of people to enjoy that standard of living. I think that was more for that upper echelon of, of um, those high income wage earners. You, so you, the, the next the next factor um, that the court looks at is the duration of marriage. And the duration of marriage certainly can impact the amount of spousal maintenance, but it is prime much more has much more impact on the duration of spousal maintenance. So for instance, there's and there, again, there's no set schedule for how um, spousal maintenance is the, the duration of spousal maintenance. Um, but in a long-term marriage, the court can it can and sometimes does, uh, order lifetime maintenance. That's very unusual, um, but in a very long-term marriage, that is a possibility. Uh, typically in that situation, the court's more likely to divide property um, in order to equalize the party's financial positions going forward, but the, but the court can order lifetime maintenance in that situation. In a short-term marriage, typically the court doesn't order spousal maintenance, and if they do, it's typically for a very short period of time. Uh, but But so the duration of the marriage definitely impacts the duration of child support or spousal maintenance. Okay. So then the last, so then the other factor that the court looks at again, just to summarize is that the length of marriage is an important factor for the court to consider in rewarding spousal maintenance. And I've always thought about it as that the shorter, the shorter your marriage is, the less likely you are to get spousal maintenance, but the longer your marriage is, it's because my understanding is that the community has just built up this, this time together. And um, the, when the court is, when the community dissolves, the marital community, the court is really seeking to put parties on equal footing post-divorce, especially in those long-term marriages. Uh, so I'm not, I always think that's kind of unique in that sense that if, if you, I mean, to me, it just makes sense in, in terms of equity. Um, the less you know, the duration of marriage should play a factor in the ward of spousal maintenance with the, the less the marriage is and, you know, in terms of length, you know, be it one year marriage compared to a 25 year marriage that the spousal maintenance dependent on that as well. So have the you next dealt with it? Hey, have you dealt, you know, I don't think I've asked you this before, but have you dealt with any cases where you've seen a lifetime spousal maintenance award or where parties agree to it? I have not. I've seen I've seen several that go up to retirement age, but typically they they do end at retirement age. You, usually, sixty seven is about the outside. Yeah, same here. I feel like I've only seen those lifetime maintenance awards when it's come out in case law, and it's because one of those parties had some sort of serious illness. The party receiving spousal maintenance and their income was just so limited that the court felt that justice justice and equity based on the length of marriage and that person's health. Um, predicated a lifetime spousal maintenance award. Okay, so let's go, thanks Katie, let's go on to the next factor. So Katie, what's the next factor that the court considers in awarding spousal maintenance? 
Uh, the next factor is the age, physical, and emotional condition and the financial obligations of the party seeking maintenance. So for instance, if the party is, uh, is, has a physical disability or has emotional issues that prevent them from working, uh, the court will take that into, into account when deciding the amount and duration of spousal maintenance. Uh, the court can, um, would also take into account how those factors impact this, that, that spouse's ability to work and, and earn an income as well. Okay, so in summary, another factor in spousal maintenance is the court looks at is looking at the party who wants spousal maintenance, looking at that person's age. You know, are they still, are they in their 30s? Or are they capable of going out and getting a job? Or are they 65? What's their physical health like? What's their emotional health like? And that kind of ties in how we're talking about in, um, in that case where the court awarded lifetime spousal maintenance. One of the things the courts considered was not only the duration of the marriage, but the factor we just talked about was it was the age of the party and that person's physical health as well were the, because a person was a lot older and their health wasn't, their, their health was poor, that all kind of compounded into the court's award of that lifetime spousal maintenance, which again, you, you or I haven't actually seen yet in, in our experience with court, um, but it, it's out there. There's case law that supports that award based on the factors that we've been discussing. So what's the next factor, Katie, in a spousal maintenance award? The last factor is the ability of the spouse from whom maintenance is being asked for to make to meet their own financial obligations while paying the spousal maintenance. I so like what this we, one because a lot of people forget about this factor. Go ahead. <laughs> so what we call this is the ability to pay. So the 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 person's ability to pay is also a factor. So so lots of times in divorces there just isn't enough money to go around. Neither spouse is going to be able to pay all of their bills, pay, pay their rent um, and continue on. And most of the time, neither spouse is going to be able to continue on in the same lifestyle that they had during the relationship. Uh, it's moving from one household to two households usually results in less money yeah. for, to go around. Um, so the court does look at the person who's being requested for, to pay maintenance, looks at what they actually need in order to continue to maintain their obligations in determining what their maintenance obligation is going to be to their former spouse. Right. And I consider this, this last factor need versus ability to pay where, you know, a, a person may have the need for spousal maintenance, but you have to look at, well, what does a person, what does the other party have the ability to pay? What can they afford? And I love, you know, using that, using that factor when you have, the other side, maybe who's representing the wife and they have this exorbitant spousal maintenance request that's pretty much taking up all of the husband's income. And then it's like, wait, but you've got to, you've also got to address the fact that she may have the need for the spousal maintenance, but he doesn't have the ability to pay her five grand because he's only taking home $6,000. So if he pays her five grand, he's not going to have any money to pay for his own living expenses. He's not going to have money to pay for his food. He's not going to have money to pay for his utilities, uh, things like that. So those are really that last factor. I personally love because again, you may have a need for spousal maintenance, but if you can't prove that the other side can't pay that request of spousal maintenance, then you're not going to win on a spousal maintenance argument. Because like, as you said, when people split up, 
that does reduce the money coming in because now you've got two different households to support. Well, that's it. That's it for our very first podcast episode of Occupational Law, discussing spousal maintenance and the factors that go into a spousal maintenance award with Occupational Law Family Law and Divorce Attorney Katie Peterson. And again, here at Occupational Law, the point of this podcast is meant to answer any type of questions you have about family law and divorce. So if you have some suggested topics that you want to hear about concerning issues of family law or concerning the issues of divorce, uh, please go ahead and let us know. Share your comments with us. Until next time, stay safe and be healthy. The information in this podcast is general advice only and should not in any respect be relied on as specific legal advice.